the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm, and Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the author of a great new book called The Ballot and the Bible, How Scripture Has Been Used and Abused and Where We Go From Here. Her name Mm. is Caitlin Chess. Caitlin, how are you doing today? Good. How are y'all? Doing great. great. We're so thrilled to have you on. Congratulations on the book. Let's just ask. Let's start here. Uh, we love to ask authors, why did you write this book? Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. written a bunch of different things. Yeah. Why did you write this book now? Yeah, so I've spent the last few years doing a lot of work with Christian schools and churches and and you know campus ministries talking about spiritual formation and our political lives and how we can more faithfully live in public as Christians. And the number two questions I would get asked by students or pastors or people in churches was, here's a Bible verse. What does this mean? <laughs> they would find some verse dealing with wow. politics and go, explain this to me. And then number two would be, it's really hard for me to talk to my aunt at Thanksgiving, or it's hard for me to have a conversation with my Bible study leader or my parents or my neighbors. And for a lot of people, those really difficult relationships were with Christians, and they wanted to find some ability to talk about important things in our political lives with these other Christians. And they wanted, I think this is a great desire to have scripture govern their politics and their political lives. And so I wanted to write a book that addressed that. I included the history mostly because I thought if I just come right out with, here's a current political event and Mm -hmm. here's how scripture impacts that, Mm -hmm. our temperatures are raised, our walls are up, we're ready to fight. And so I wanted to give historical examples that gave us a tangible thing to think through, mm-hmm. but that were distanced enough that people weren't, you know, going to have such a high temperature. No one's really fighting about the Revolutionary War at their Thanksgiving table <laughs> anymore. So hopefully that gives us, you know, so some wise. distance from it to be able to evaluate it well. And I would love to hear, I've read a few articles, Caitlin, but I would love to hear some of those historic examples uh, that just you found interesting and even helpful in our conversations for today. Yeah, the example that really started the interest in the book was thinking about how Romans 13, the passage that people will often go to in our political lives that says that we should be subject to the governing authorities, that they are for good, that they will reward those who do well and punish evil and their authority comes from God. And that's been used, you know, in recent politics a lot when it comes to immigration, when it comes to COVID, all sorts of things. And people usually feel like it's a good application when it's a policy that they like and don't (laughs) feel like it's a good application when it's a policy they don't like. And so I went back to the Revolutionary War and, you know, loyalist priests often use this passage and another one from First Peter that literally says, obey God and honor the king Hmm. and use that against the Revolutionary War. So I wanted us to both be kind of discomforted by one of our favorite verses being used in a way that many of us would not really support. (laughs) Um, And also to then see 
what were the responses? People were really grappling at that time with, is this an appropriate application? Is it not? How do I think about how this coheres with all the examples in the Old Testament of unjust kings or of the righteous underdog that really rebels against unjust authority? Um, so that was an important example. Another one that I talk about in the book is um, the phrase that Jesus uses, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That's a more mm. recent example. It's become really important in American politics in the last few years. And kind of asking what did Jesus really mean about that? And, and how have we often used that as kind of a shorthand, which we often do with scripture and politics, to kind of sneak in a whole theology of our political lives that really separates our personal lives from our political lives? And maybe why yeah. that's not a good use of that passage. That's hmm. great. Caitlin, yeah, it is. Uh, kind of the reputation right now for the church is it's being just divided by politics, right? Like yeah. uh, in the last decade. Uh, and that it's getting worse. I, I guess I would love to hear as you did this historical overview mm. and you've thought about it. Is it getting worse? Are we doing worse right now? Uh, and if we are doing worse, are you hopeful that that that, that could get turned around? Hmm. Yeah, I hope it's a little bit hopeful in a, in a strange way for people to know that we have basically done the same thing the whole time, <laughs> that most of American history is full of examples. Um, and even in kind of using the same terms we often use, it was kind of striking to me as I looked at this history to see people have said the same thing of, oh, I'm taking the Bible seriously and you don't really believe it. For wow. all of our history or said, you know, our church is just preaching the gospel, but they're preaching politics over there when it yeah. kind of just depends what issues we count as political. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been consistent. If anything has changed over history, it's mostly that our references in public life have gotten less obscure. We used to be able to use pretty strange references and now we just don't know the Bible as well. Yeah. So we don't use as obscure references. And I find that hopeful both to know that we aren't facing a challenge Christians have never faced before. We have resources in our history to go back to. And I think one of those great resources that I saw when I looked at the history was the Christians that were able to listen, that had humility, that asked Christians in other circumstances than their own how to best faithfully interpret scripture in their political context, mm. often were able to see things. If they were in relationship with people who were different from them, if they were learning from people who had different perspectives on the text, mm. they were able to see things that maybe the rest of the people in their church that were really shaped by the context they were in couldn't see. An example being mm. the, the issue of slavery, which we can look back and go, how could you have not seen mm. that scripture doesn't support this, yeah. communities really reinforced it with each other. And I think we're at danger of doing that today. But there were people in those contexts that most often built relationships across difference, had humility to learn and listen from others mm -hmm. that were able to see in scripture something different than their community saw at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm curious about. I would love to just hear you unpack that a little bit more, Caitlin, like as you've done the research and as you're looking at uh, the church and American politics today, how can we do better? Yeah, I think the first thing that I'll say sounds really boring to a lot of people, but it's just that we should read the Bible more mm. <laughs> and we should read it across the canon. I think a lot of people, when they think about the Bible in political life, they think some political issue presents itself. I'll go grab my Bible. I'll look at a concordance, maybe look up what verses cover this you know, particular issue, and then I'll yeah. know what to do. Yeah. And I love that that impulse says, I want scripture to shape my political life. But it's kind of too late at that point in some ways. And also that process of here, let me pull some isolated verses mm -hmm. that deal with this issue really does bias us towards what we already might have wanted to believe yeah. politically. Yeah. Whereas if we've been studying 
Old and New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, different genres, prophets, epistles, letters, if we're able to look across the canon and ask bigger questions about what is human community, what what are human communities intended to look like? How can Mm. they best flourish? What does authority look like? What kinds of demands are upon us to care for people and how might that translate into our, our political lives? That would be more faithful. And I see some churches doing that where we're going, we're going to study across the canon for this whole year. We're going to read, a, you know, we're going to go through Jeremiah for for six months. We're going to take a yeah. lot of time to really be in the word. And then I think really importantly, we're going to be expecting that scripture will say something to our public mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. We're not going to wait until the issue presents itself. We're going to come and, and it's going to be a normal part of our rhythm together as a community to talk about those things. We're not going to wait until it's right before the election and everyone's anxious and angry mm-hmm. and fighting. It's going to be a year before the election that we're mm-hmm. in the middle of a book, uh, you know, the book of Jeremiah, for example, and we see something about the poor or we see something about immigration or we see something about sexuality and we have a conversation about it and we expect mm-hmm. that that's a regular rhythm of our life together. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that just a little bit more. Aubrey and I are both pastors, and I think we're constantly wrestling with this. How have you seen churches handle this well? Uh, You just talked about from the pulpit over time, but Mm -hmm. just maybe give some pastors some thoughts out there who might be like, I never address anything political in my Mm -hmm. church. How can pastors do this well and helpful for their church? Yeah. I mean, I think other than this kind of just getting in the regular habit of it, which is both for you (laughs) to kind of build up the muscle of doing it and then for your people to be kind of used to it. But I also think one of the things that churches that I have been in that I have felt like weren't intended to produce political results, but really did was have more opportunities as a whole congregation across generations to be eating meals together and having Mm. conversations that aren't necessarily narrowly guided by a Bible study, but that just build community together. People's lives intersect with politics constantly. If we're talking about public schools, if we're talking about the roads in our city, if we're talking about our concerns about economics or immigration, those kinds of concerns come up in conversation with people. And I think part of the issue is we're not often enough in our churches in intergenerational contexts where we've got the kind of community building that happens with meals and that we kind of instruct or help kind of form our leaders, whether it's pastors, but also the people who who just teach a Bible study, the people who are in Sunday school, to kind of unlearn our resistance to those conversations. I think it happens best when it happens organically. Mm. And I think the reason it often doesn't happen organically is because we have so strongly learned that's an outside of church conversation. And if yeah. we started to spend time thinking, no, this really is an important part of our conversations, the next time it came up organically, the people who have influence in your church might be able to say, actually, no, we're not going to shy away from that. We're going to mm-hmm. lean into it with kindness and compassion, but we're not going to say, oh, no, that's only a conversation for much worse places like social media or out amongst totally. people that aren't kind of in community together. Yeah. Oh, it's so good, Caitlin. Your book ends with a reference to the story of Hulda and Josiah. And I know you talk a little bit about the ability for us to hear the word of the Lord. Can you, um, can you unpack that for our listeners? Oh, I love that, Aubrey. Thank you. It's one of my favorite stories. I wish people would go and and read it. Um, A lot of times we think of the prophets as the kind of table flipping, you know, shaking your fist Mm -hmm. at the the powers that be. And Holt is a very different kind of prophet that's probably a lot more like what most of us will actually be in our lives. Um, Josiah discovers the the law and looks for a prophet to interpret it. And Holt is a prophet that's available. She interprets the law. And she not only interprets the law, reads it and says, well, this is what God has said will happen to us if we are worshiping idols, if we are disobeying him, if we have gone astray, she looks around and says, that fits us. We have gone astray. I can identify the idols in the culture that I'm in. And I know that we're worshiping them. And so that ability to both 
read God's word and God's world meant that she could say a word against the people, a hard word. And then the really remarkable thing about that story is that Josiah hears it. That's a pretty rare thing in scripture for someone, especially in a position of authority or power, to hear the word of the Lord against themselves. And I think that story not only helps us say, well, what does it look like to be prophetic? Well, it might mean interpreting God's word and God's world. And then it might pose a harder question for us of, what in me is so resistant to hearing that word? And how can Mm. I be practiced in hearing that word against me? That's so good. Mm, That's so good. Again, uh, the book is called The Ballot in the Bible, How Scripture Has Been Used and Abused and Where We Can Go From Here. The author is Caitlin Chess. Uh, She is at Duke University, also a co-host of the Holy Post podcast. Would encourage people to go check that out. Get that wherever you get your podcast. Caitlin, this has been so much fun. And congratulations on the book. What a timely and important Mm -hmm. book. Yeah, congrats, Caitlin. uh, We're excited for it. thanks, Thanks for doing this with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.